while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Got the wrong mic again. That's Marcus Farrell. <laughs> He's the one making the mistakes. So, folks, um, happy Monday. Welcome to the show. Um, tonight we're going to have a, a number of really great things. In addition to your calls, we will have, in a moment, New England's premier investigative reporter, Tim White. You guys remember him um, every night. He's on at Channel 12. You remember him from my show uh, before I got sick in the, in, the, in the mornings. Tim would come on. He's a, he's a mobologist, an expert in organized crime. And he does a lot of great work. Um, he actually changes public policy here in New England. Um, he's done a lot of really good political investigative reporting. We could probably use him on this side of the state line, actually. But Tim White will be joining us from Channel 12 in a moment, WPRI, because Tim White has been on top of a very big story that's going on all over New England, but in some ways is based right out of southeastern Massachusetts, and that is the Biker War. These are transnational organized crime groups, Hells Angels, the Mongols, the Outlaws. Some of us know people in these clubs, and we could never imagine, but the federal government tells us, and we'll learn more from Tim here in a moment, that they are very violent transnational organized crime groups. Um, and many of us see them around town. We see them around town. and um, I just saw them. Marcus, as a matter of fact, just saw them <laughs> yeah. um, prior to them making news. So we've had a couple of major incidents uh, over the last couple of years, but now it really seems to be heating up. We're going to talk to Tim White now. They had an incident in Pawtucket. We had an incident a couple of weeks ago, as we remember, in Fall River. Um, violent, violent situations. Um, good evening, Tim. Uh, this is Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. Welcome to South Coast tonight. Hey, Chris, Marcus, thanks for having me on. So, so really, really honored to have you here, Tim. Tim, let, let the people at home understand what is going on with, with the big groups, the big um, motorcycle clubs. Well, there's a lot of tension, Chris. Um, you know, just Friday uh, or early, uh, excuse me, late last week, the Massachusetts State Police issued an internal intelligence memo to multiple law enforcement agencies in southeastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island uh, warning different police outfits that the Pagan Motorcycle Club was going to be holding a fundraiser uh, in, in the Rhode Island area, but they would also be staying in Attleboro, and there's a, a clubhouse um, in Pawtucket. <clears throat> and the uh, the fundraiser was ostensibly for an attack that happened on May 14th in Fall River on Pleasant Street, where uh, the police say multiple members of the Pagans were attacked by either Hells Angels members, which is a rival club, or one of their smaller affiliate motorcycle clubs known as the Sidewinders. Um, and so this was supposed to be a fundraiser for that crew. But really what law enforcement was worried about was this would be a show of force by the Pagan Motorcycle Club and that they would try and intimidate the other uh, rival motorcycle gangs in the area, um, you know, again, to try to intimidate them. Well, the... The Massachusetts State Police internal memo I obtained uh, turned out to be true. Uh, there was a uh, an incident in Pawtucket on Lafayette Street where a member of the Pagan Motorcycle Club was shot to the face. At last check, the 49-year-old who has not been identified 
uh, is in tough shape. He's in critical condition right now. And obviously police are looking at this as uh, another, you know, an extension of the violence that we've been uh, seeing a lot, particularly in southeastern Massachusetts in the Fall River area. It seems every year there's a big dust up, uh, one that included uh, the, you and I have talked about in the past, Chris, including a, a Sidewinders uh, member that was killed um, and a, a member of the Outlaw Motorcycle Club is accused of, of committing that homicide. That trial is pending. So right now tensions are exceptionally high. I've talked to my contacts in law enforcement that uh, they're really concerned this is going to be a very long summer. And the main worry, uh, Chris and Marcus, is that, you know, innocent people will be caught in the crossfire, as we've seen in other parts of the country when these warring biker gangs really get violent, um, they they want to try and avoid that. So they're, everyone in law enforcement is on high alert. Well, speaking of uh, law enforcement, Tim, uh, we're speaking with Tim White of WPRI. Speaking of law enforcement, um, you know, during my time as a criminal defense attorney, I found that uh, gang affiliation, and I saw... Uh, I would say it's hard for me to ballpark this, but I'd say like a hundred uh, pagan uh, motorcycle club members with their cuts on driving down 195 westbound, uh, presumably heading towards Providence this past weekend. And typically law enforcement acts with a lot more emboldenment. And a lot of that is due to the authority that they're granted uh, under the law to act with emboldenment when it comes to uh, criminal gang uh, affiliates, people who are affiliated with known criminal gangs. Now, what is the response that law enforcement is is um, offering in this situation, both in Providence and in the smaller cities like Fall River and Attleboro, et cetera, to the you know these, this eruption of violence that's happening in these communities. Well, look, um, law enforcement, particularly the Mass State Police, Rhode Island State Police, Fall River Police Department, Pawtucket, you know, areas where there are um, there are club headquarters. Uh, up in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, there's a club headquarter up, uh, headquarters up there. Westport, uh, you have one. These, they receive special training in these outlaw motorcycle uh, groups. And, and you, you talk about the hundred bikers that are uh, roaring down 195, heading into Rhode Island. They were probably heading uh, to Pawtucket, Marcus. And the what they're, you know, law enforcement. State police, Mass State Police, Rhode Island State Police, they're trained in how to pull over a pack if there's, of course, as you know, you're a lawyer, reasonable suspicion to pull over a motorist, right? right. You need that that standard. Uh, and they know which member of that pack they're supposed to approach <laughs> because there is a hierarchy. And the top guy isn't always in the front. Uh, the top guy is often protected uh, in the middle of the pack or whatever. But this is a type of special training that is ramped up during uh, these times. And then there's just simple uh, simple things that they do, just like I talked about at the top of the segment here, which is the sharing of intelligence among law enforcement agencies. Back in the day, you know, law enforcement agencies like to hold tight to this information because it's like the Yankees and the Red Sox, you know, the the Rhode Island State Police want to make the collar over the Providence Police Department, over the FBI. They were very competitive. Well, when it comes to public safety issues like this, that is not the case. They disseminate information in Rhode Island through the Fusion Center. Uh, like I said here, the Mass State Police really took the lead 
with uh, this intelligence that unfortunately turned out to be accurate and there was an act of violence over the weekend. And that way, uh, you know, uh, the Pawtucket Police Department will know to, hey, we got to ramp up uh, our staffing this weekend. We have to increase control uh, patrols in this area, uh, so and so forth. And, and you might also have members, I don't know this to be true, but I would suspect members of the Rhode Island State Police Intelligence Unit working undercover um, to keep an eye on the fundraiser and to identify the hierarchy, who's the boss, who's the top guy there, and, and so on and so forth. And there has been a shakeup in leadership, particularly with the Hells Angels. Um, Joe Lancia, the president of the Rhode Island chapter of the Hells Angels, they're located in Providence on Messer Street. He just got sent to the uh, state prison in Rhode Island for five years on a gun charge. So obviously there's a bit of a a vacuum, I think is probably the right word, for that particular chapter. And these are the types of things that law enforcement want to keep an eye on, they want to track, so they have, you know, an understanding of, of who is running the show. And I'll tell you last thought on that, uh, that that Joe Lancia case I just cited, um, you know, we learned through um, an affidavit for a search warrant in that that uh, the state police were able to establish probable cause to get that affidavit because they had put a poll camera outside the Hells Angels Messer Street clubhouse, which is a, a sort of a hidden camera on what, what it sounds like on a telephone pole. Right. And they were keeping watch on the Hells Angels around the clock. Uh, so when the shooting happened, again, like I said, they were able to establish probable cause. But this is this is just how important um, this subject is and these motorcycle gangs are to the different law enforcement agencies in the region. We're speaking with Tim White from Channel 12 WPRI. Tim, um, the Hells Angels have also made an expansion uh, of their club, the Rhode Island Club and the, and the Massachusetts Club, appear to be very close, uh, the chapters. And uh, to, in fact, I have seen the patches around now for uh, Cape Cod chapter of the Hells Angels. Do you know anything about that? Yes. Yeah. My phone broke up, so ask me the question one more time, Chris. Sure. So the the Hells Angels have made an expansion lately, um, and I have seen around patches, members of the Hells Angels wearing Cape Cod patches. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that expansion? Yeah, the Hells Angels are expanding, and and there is, according to law enforcement, a Cape Cod uh, branch. But it's, it's been there for a while, Chris. I think you probably know better than I, but I think since the 1990s, the Cape Cod chapter of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club has been around, but you are not wrong. Uh, there has been an, an expansion uh, in membership among the, within that club, but why is that? That's because there's been an expansion in membership, um, or I should even say the, the outlaw, one of the main rival gangs uh, to the Hells Angels, the outlaw motorcycle club, not to be confused with we refer to all of these one-percenter organizations as outlaw motorcycle clubs. There is an actual outlaw club, as you know, and they have moved into the area, uh, as has the Pagans. Um, and like I mentioned, there are other affiliate clubs, Sidewinders, Thug Riders, um, that affiliate with the larger mothership, if you will, um, motorcycle clubs like the Outlaws, the Pagans, and the Hells Angels. So, in effect, what has happened, Chris, is yes, you are right, the Hells Angels ranks have increased, but that is in large part uh, in response to the sort of territorial battle that we're seeing now with these different motorcycle clubs. In other words, as the outlaws have moved in, 
the the different branches and chapters of the Hells Angels have beefed up uh, beefed up their ranks throughout southeastern Massachusetts and in in Rhode Island. We're speaking with uh, Tim White, WPRI Channel Twelve. So, has there been any sort of reluctance by uh, Mayor Alorza or any of the other community leaders to? Um, hold any public events outside, or is is the general feeling among people in these communities uh, one of apprehension to do any of these outdoor summer activities that they're typically used to doing because of these events? That's a good question. I haven't heard that, uh, Marcus, from uh, the political end of the the spectrum. I I do know uh, when there was a daytime brawl in Fall River. When was that? In May, I believe. Right. Um, I remember it was a Saturday. Uh, it was supposed to be off, and, and my phone blew up. Um, you know, I think seven members of the Pagans were stabbed. Uh, they were holding, again, I think it was some sort of a fundraiser. I don't have my notes in front of me. But, you know, I know Mayor Coogan, because just of how brazen it was, it was in the middle of the day, um, and it turned into a massive melee. Fall River PD reported 50 to 100 people in the street where that uh, that clubhouse is located. And I think you guys probably know better than I, but I think the city, their response to that, the, the political response to that, the government response to it, besides law enforcement, was they decided that they're going to do an inspection <laughs> on the Pagan <laughs> Motorcycle Club. And they, lo and behold, right. they found a violation. Yeah, right. right. That's right. Uh, and so they shut that clubhouse down. And so I, that's the type of uh, response uh typically we see from the the mayors and the city halls of these different areas you know like the incident i talked about with the pole cameras outside of, of messer street that place is no stranger uh to to law enforcement uh raids and to scrutiny scrutiny by the city but to to answer your question i have not heard of any uh, any of the cities canceling uh events but I can tell you, police are concerned that they're gonna. There will be an incident in the area like we saw in Waco, Texas, many years ago. I believe it was the Pagans and the Outlaws got into a gunfight, daytime, uh, right at at a restaurant, um, and you know, people just going there to enjoy a meal were suddenly in a war zone. And that is just the type of thing that I know keeps up uh, law enforcement authorities at night, particularly over the summer where this stuff tends to really heat up. When you said Waco, Texas, that was not what I was going to, was that what I was expecting you to start talking about. Uh, Chris, I'm sorry, you had a question. No, I was going to say, um, Tim, the, um, the fact of the matter is, is that, as I pointed out, these guys are considered organized crime groups. But it, but it's right. strange because they also do toy drives. You know, they do they do a lot of things. Some of them some of them are very much a part of the community. So so it's a very it's almost like um, two different worlds. You know, um, the, the guy could be your electrician, but he's also a member of the Hell's Angels. So it's it's a very it's kind of a, a convoluted world. Yeah, it is, and you're right. I mean, uh, the Hell's Angels uh, were very involved with um, like a Toys for Tots drive. Um, and they try to get involved in the community. But look, you, you talk to, to, uh, intelligence folks who track them. They will tell you that historically the Hells Angels were also, also the enforcement arm of La Cosa Nostra in, in right. the New England region and elsewhere in the country. And, and so what did that look like? Well, you know, when, uh, when the wise guys needed, um, someone to pay up on the extortion payments and they were late on it. Uh, and they needed to bust some heads, they might use 
utilize uh, members of the Hells Angels. They had a very tight-knit network. They would also, if a, if a strip joint was mobbed up, most of them were at one point, um, you know, the, the security there, you would walk in and you'd see the rocker of the, the Hells Angels rocker, which is that, you know, curved thing on the back of the patch that identifies the club on the back of the jacket that, that you know, they're affiliated with. You, you would see that there because they're the bouncer. They're running the security. So they would work in tandem um, with traditionally with La Cosa Nostra uh, in the region. There's also there's been uh, documented cases of drug running between Canada and down south by different uh, motorcycle clubs. There's a huge drug case happening here in Rhode Island that actually went all the way to the Supreme Court involving the, the head of the uh, the pagans in Rhode Island, a guy named Derek Big Tuna McGuire. So, you know, while there is sort of this dichotomy you talk about, uh, people are, you know, someone listening right now knows somebody in one of these clubs and, hey, he's a good guy or, you know, they get involved in the community. Law enforcement is often eager to point out that there's the other side to it that um, is very dangerous and, and can erode uh, you know, quality of life in a, in a municipality. We've been speaking with Tim White from Channel 12 WPRI. He's also the author of The Last Good Heist, which we've talked about quite a bit here. Tim, um, that's the, the, the greatest robbery book, I think one of the best I've ever read. So if you haven't get, yeah. pick, picked up a book for the summer, really, The Last Good Heist by Tim White, you'll really enjoy it. Um, Tim, what, before we let you go, what, what, have you, what are you working on, you and the investigative unit down there at Channel 12? Oh man! I mean, look. I think the old saying is is Rhode Island, and I would I would fold in uh, Southeastern Mass is a is a reporter's playground. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we are we are certainly uh, you know very busy. Uh, we, look, I, I ended up working this weekend because of the uh, the incident in Pawtucket. So there are things that you react to, um, and then there are longer term projects that uh, we are are working on right now. Uh, that obviously I can't talk about too much. But it's also a political year, and uh, you know we we're very busy covering the different races. All the statewide races in Rhode Island are wide open in a in a very hectic governor's race and second congressional district race here. So, right. um, never a dull moment. Thanks, Tim. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, we really appreciate awesome. it. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed being uh, being on with both of you. Thanks very much. Thanks. So Thank much. you. Um, so a lot, a lot going on. Yeah, really, there really is, and uh, we're grateful to have uh, you know people like Tim White right. to to break these stories and to come on other outlets like ours and and talk about them even more. We're going to take a break, and when we get back, we'll be taking your calls. We'll be having some discussions. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. We'll also be taking message on the messages on the WBSM app chat. So stay tuned. Right, I'm Marcus. He's Chris, and. We are. That was a great interview. Um, I thought. Yeah. No. I thought. I think Tim's a fantastic journalist, and his. Of course, I remember his father. Uh, really, uh, really great journalist as well. In fact, his father is the one who got Richard Nixon to say, "I'm not a crook," mm. uh, with his line of questioning. So, uh, yeah, Tim does a great job. His whole team. He has a big. They have a big investigative team over there, Channel Twelve, and we'll have Ted Nisi. Ted Nisi and his wife uh, Kim Kalunian just had a baby. But I've been in contact with Ted, with, uh, with Ted, who was a regular here on the program, and he'll be. He'll be on with Marcus and I talking uh, politics um, as we go forward, uh, probably next week or the week after when he gets back from vacation. So, Marcus, you've got um, 
an interesting piece up at WBSM based off of our interview last week with um, with Mayor Mitchell talking about the wind and wind business. And really, we talked about it briefly that night, but uh, I think you've done a nice job capturing the moment. You can go to WBSM and read Marcus's yeah. piece. Mayor Mitchell has thrown down the gauntlet. gauntlet yeah, um, he did. With it, other communities. It's, explain, the, explain. The thing is, is, the reason I thought it was... Um, interesting. Like I thought it was important to capture and put, uh, on the, you know, in a, in a column piece to really highlight is that he's setting the tone for the discussion around offshore wind, not just really here in New Bedford or in, in, Ma- in the South Coast or even in Massachusetts, but across the Eastern, uh, shoreline, the entire East Coast. And he said, you know, basically that we're in a competition and we're going to win that competition. He right. said we're he in fact used the words we have a lead and we're trying to stretch that lead. Right. So he wants to, you know, really wants to make New Bedford the um you know, the central hub for offshore wind. And in order to do that, you have to make your market more attractive to uh businesses than than um than the other town, cities and towns, and the opportunities that you're going to get, those town, those cities and towns uh, along the ports are going to lose. Right. The, the level of investment is enormous, but because it's so enormous, it's not going to be diluted. It's not going to be spread out. It's not going to be shared. Right. right. It's not. It's not. You know, this isn't a buffet. Yeah. The mayor is going to either either New Bedford is going to win or it's going to lose. Well, it's like you know he he, he talked about these companies. Um, you know, three major companies: Avant uh, Garde, uh, Semco, and, and Foss Marine, um, and they are setting up shop here. They're not setting up shop here and setting up shop in. Um, Quonset Point to make you know to make everybody feel nice. Right, they're setting up here, and he said they're talking to other uh, major marine companies. You've got Vineyard, uh, you've got Vineyard Wind that is uh, on their they're, they're ready. They're like hitting the ground running in quarter first quarter of 2023. So you're going to see those turbine turbines coming here, and so I just thought that t- that tenor of the conversation was really interesting because he's basically saying sending that message. And what he also said is. I'm telling the people this privately, but even more bluntly than I'm telling you now. Right. So it's not even like, you know, he's, you know, he's being nice to people. Like, he, he had no problem saying this to us because he's already saying it to other uh, people in other communities. Like, no, we're going to be the premier offshore wind, uh, you know, port in the, in, on the eastern seaboard. And, and like he said, we have a lead and we're going to stretch it. Elections matter. I mean, elections really matter. And, the, and energy, energy, like any, any type of, of, of energy production is capital intensive. You, you need to build economies of scale locally. You look at, you look at, it's why are they all in Texas or, or, or the, um, the Paramount Basin? Because, because that's where the oil is. Why are they all here? It's because it's where the wind is, right? It's where right. the wind is right off the ocean. But, you are going to have certain communities that win, and it really, it is. It cannot be a laid-back game. So I was, I was, I've always thought of the mayor as a competitor, but I was very impressed um, with that with that interview we had with him, where, where he came right out and said it. And I, I think I think it's quite newsworthy, really. And I like the Marcus highlighted on WBSM.com. Marcus, another thing going on here locally in the city, and we'll certainly take your calls at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred, is the parallel products development. Yeah, the the the, the settlement, the. Uh, community host agreement between Parallel Products and the city of New Bedford. I have a column up about it tonight on WBSM.com. Look, I think a lot of people are going to be upset with it. I think a lot of people um, 
didn't quite understand the process. I think, as I put in the column, there are some elected officials that they probably should be disappointed and upset with yeah. because there were some false promises made or some false some false hopes conveyed. I think when we were on together uh, prior to when this thing was really at its, um, I would say, climax in terms of its, its, its conflict, we both said the same thing, that this was basically a done deal, that they had right. invested this much. I remember Tim Cusson would go, go on Barry's show. Yep. Yep. And, um, and you know, they're not going to invest this much capital without it moving, without if they weren't sure it was going to move forward. And, you know, like you said, there was a lot of people that, you know, really signed off on the TIFFs. Um, that right. <laughs> tax incentive financing, so they basically gave gave um, parallel products tax breaks for them to come here. So they incentivized to parallel products to come here, and then turned around and said, "We're we're you know we're so against this." There's there's more than one person on the city council council that 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 um that did that. And I, and I get you, I get it. You respond to your constituents and all of that, but there was probably a more, I don't know. Um, artful way to do that than say we're going to stop this. You know, it was when it when it when it broke out, as you say, when it when it when it hit its, when it hit its peak of attention, the um, it had a real feel to election year stunts for me. Um, that people were really concerned about getting reelection because, as you and I talked about off the air, that's a big vote rich area of the city. You know, I can, Brian Gomes, yeah. I love him and I love his hyperbole. You know, I think, I think that oftentimes Brian Gomes is, it provides a real service. He's not boring. No, he's not boring. Yeah. Right. By emphasizing just how much he emotionally feels about an issue. Yeah. But, and I believe him when he said he, will, he would lay down in front of the trucks. In fact, I actually implored him on the end not to because I think he would do it. <laughs> yeah. And I like Brian. I don't right. want to see him get run over. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is that laying down in front of the trucks was never going to stop this. Yeah. It was right. never going to stop this. It was always going forward. At the legal process and the courts, you're very lucky, in my opinion, city of New Bedford, that the courts did not ultimately make this decision. Yeah, because when you and I get there's that there's environmental concerns to all of this and those are real. Um, but the fact of the matter was uh, this country doesn't really care about environmental concerns. So including even mass to include even Massachusetts, which is, I would just say better than most. Right. Uh, but when you're talking about a community like New Bedford, I don't think particularly it's, I don't think it's top of the DEP's priorities. And so when you have this, this legally operated business, right, that's not doing anything that's a violation of environmental law or any type of um, any any law really whatsoever. Right. Then or ordinance or ordinance or ordinance or city ordinance. They're going to they're going to get what they they're going to get what they want. And if they were to like, you know, what there's they're a reason, legally entitled to. And there's a reason the city council didn't pass any new ordinances to try to stop parallel products like saying there can be no waste management in the New Bedford business park because if they did that then that would be a slam dunk lawsuit for parallel par- products. I would just say, you know, in terms of like yeah, there's in, like there's environmental concerns and all that. All those concerns are real. The people that live there, the people that you know are worried about how the the their property values, the general enjoyment of their home. But the fact of the matter is, you know, they were the New Bedfords are at least able to recruit some profit, extra right. profit from this deal. Whereas if typically when you're in a legal setting, like I, you know, when I was in a when I was in a courtroom, you know that if you have an opportunity to settle something amicably. 
you do it. I mean, unless you can win, right? right. Unless you know you can win, then right. you don't, right? But if you have an opportunity to set up something amicably, when you know that if you take it all the way, you're going to get punched in the mouth, you do it, right? right. Otherwise, otherwise, he would have been he could have been left with nothing. So the fact of the matter is, if you really now again, I'm very sympathetic to the people that live right in that neighborhood, right? But if you don't live right in the immediate neighborhood of the industrial park, then you. You're making out like a bandit here. Right. Because you try to explain to me why the city of New Bedford should just get $2 every ton of, of garbage, yeah. that, every ton of, um, of, of um, I, I guess garbage isn't the right term, might be, uh, but every, 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 every bit of waste that comes into that place, $2 a ton. Do you understand how much money that's going to add up to? I think they said $800,000 in year one, just yeah, they're getting just ramped year up one. year one. That's a lot of money, folks. That's a lot of money. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Yeah, we also have to keep in mind when it comes to parallel products that the mayor is friendly with Mr. Cusson. And he spent a million plus. Friendly how? Tax, he spent a million dollars plus of taxpayers' money supposedly fighting uh, the, uh, the proposal that Parallel Products put in front of the city council. He spent a million dollars of taxpayers' money with a private law firm yeah, KP. That, was, that was all fluff. It was a smokescreen to make it look like uh, they were fighting hard against Parallel Products when in actuality... It was a done deal from day one. Have a good day, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank, thank uh, you. Appreciate it. I, I would say this, that the reality of it is, is that the mayor fought him to a good negotiation. Yeah. He got him. He got him to the way that it wasn't worth their mon- their time to spend the money fighting it. Yeah. Um, and they, I, w- I would Nuisance imagine. Nuisance fees, right? Right. Yeah. I would imagine that Parallel Products, ultimately, Imag- they were going to prevail. Yeah. They were going to. Imagine how much they're making if they're willing to make that concession. <laughs> Two dollars a ton. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, really, folks, Two dollars a ton. You don't get two dollars a ton every time they land a ton of scallops. Right. I mean, you don't get you don't get every time they land whitefish. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that don't you know they just pay the tax and move on as it probably should be. But I can remember this reminds me quite a bit of Freetown. If you live in the town of Freetown, I think a Cushnet's the same way. We have gravel pits. You're getting a percentage. They have tipping fees out there. It's part of your permit. So. A lot of these businesses are paying enormous sums. But this is a real win, I think, for New Bedford. Again, I feel terrible for the people that live right in the neighborhood of the industrial park. Right. Right? But your big concerns were sewerage. The mayor got rid of that. Your yeah. other big concern was the trucks. To the best you can ameliorate that, they're coming down Phillips Road as opposed to directly off the highway. Um, you got that. Yeah. You got that. And then overall... the. Look, we'll see how much that, that money adds up to in terms of improvements in New Bedford. I thought Barry did a pretty good job laying that out today. But there are always needs in, in the north end of New Bedford, and you're going to have more money for it. And it's not going to come directly from the taxpayers, except it's going to come from Parallel Products now. So I do think it was a good – and believe me, you can read more about it at WBSM.com. We'd love to hear your comments as well. You can give us a call at 508-996-05. I wonder if this is a wedge issue in the next city election. Probably – I don't know. I don't know if this is a wedge issue in the next city election. Are there any challengers out there to know how to, how to put a wedge issue together anymore? Good point. Right. I mean, really, really, quite frankly, are there? Because, if they, because yeah, if I'm running a campaign, it is a wedge issue. Yeah, right, yeah. Right? Marcus, if you're involved, it's a wedge issue. Yeah. But, you know, again, I think you also have a sophisticated voter in Ward 1 who, who is able to look at this agreement 
and say, we might have gotten slam dunk. Right. We might have lost it all. We might have gotten nothing out of it. They might be bringing in sewerage and right down Phillips Road, you know? So if you're a sophisticated voter, you might not like 100% the outcome. But for the rest of the city, it's a good outcome. It also could have been the case that I think people's visceral reaction is basically you know that that type of that type of vigor that type of anger has been like fully exhausted to the point where you just kind of like okay right so so there's the the immediate reaction right mm-hmm. as you're pointing out the immediate reaction you find out oh my god so you're you're, you're furious you're, yeah. you're you're nervous you're furious you're rightfully so but then time goes on you begin it begins to set you learn a few more things about it so i do think that the process again Folks, you would not have wanted this decided in a distant courtroom. Yeah, if it was in a courtroom, if it was a court in a courtroom, they would have the city would have lost, and you might not have gotten any concessions whatsoever. Because that's basically, like I said, that's the way it works when you're in a civil uh, civil trial, criminal trial, um, any sort, any type of uh, adversarial um, case, like you know, any law cases are adversarial, but any type of adversarial setting like that, if not you're going to June six committee, if you're going to July six committee, if you're Whatever going to if you're going to, yeah, the Jan, uh, January 6th. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, we all forgot the date, too. Uh, <laughs> That's how crazy it was. I, hey, did you hear that the, um, there's, um, by the way, there's motor there's motorcade officials that, that are confirming some of uh, Hutch, Hutchinson's stories. What do you think about that? Well, I have felt bad for that young woman um, from the beginning because when she first got hired, she probably thought it was a dream job. Right, and now her entire life is being uprooted. Not like Monica Lewinsky's, but every word she says yeah, is no. being put under the under the microscope. No one's got no no one in the history of American politics got it worse than Monica. Well, you know, I guess okay, Abraham Lincoln, J, JFK, right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, movie, yeah. Mrs. Lincoln, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, sure. Right. Um, but short of being shot in the, the guy, head, the, uh, yeah, McKinley, no William Mc, Bill McKinley, the, uh, but. But yeah, yeah, but but you know what I'm saying. And short of getting, yeah, short of getting shot in the head, no one had it worse in, in the history of of American politics. Got it worse than Monica Lewinsky did. Um, but um, yeah, you're right. But but in terms of the fact that remember, folks, when you when when a person like her, any anybody, gets called in front of Congress and, and has to go through a deposition process, you're, you're paying a significant amount of money out of your pocket. Yeah, and that, it doesn't strike me as coming from a. You know, she's not a rich girl or anything like that. As far as I can tell, we haven't heard any of that. And I think she probably told well, she can write a book now. You know, what are you happened? dying? For? Are you dying for the copy of that book? <laughs> Someone is. I'm Someone telling is. you, there's the, uh, a market. You haven't is gone, so I don't know really where she can turn a quick buck. But the um, the problem <laughs> is is that is that no, not Monica Lewinsky. No, um, the new girl. The new girl. Monica Lewinsky's probably written a book. The the, the Hutchinson. Did you read it? <laughs> no, I, no. What I'm saying is. Some someone's there's a market for that. There's like oh the the day you know the day democracy died or whatever some right. some stupid crap like that. She she um John Bolton can write a book and sell it to liberals. She can. Quite frankly, that that and again I consider her more of a victim of the process. She never should have been put in front of national television. Yeah. Her story was what someone else told her. She heard. She heard. Right. You know, if she was a more sophisticated witness, she never would have uttered what someone heard or she overheard or someone told her they heard. To investigative committee. She would have known not to say that. Right. She would not, you know, she got dragged into it. Why? It's not her fault. She just probably, she was 
she did her best to recollect every moment of the days in the White House, and it burned her. We uh, have to take a break. We will be right back. We'll be taking your calls at 508-996-0500. We'll also be taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. So stay tuned. This is South Coast Tonight with Marcus and Chris. 1420 WB. South Coast Tonight. Um, I am Marcus. I'm Chris. So you were asking me about Joe Biden, right? And so like... Here's here's where I'm at with this, and I got yelled at a lot by people um, when I said, like, Joe Biden is not really worth your time. Not that I didn't prefer him to Trump. Of course I did. I did like a lot. Like, I think he came out of the gate pretty hot, honestly, his administration with some of the legislation that he put out, like... The ARPA, you know, ARPA, we're getting, you know, New Bedford's getting $65 million in ARPA money. Fairhaven got a couple million. We're actually getting some ARPA money to uh, do some improvements here in Fairhaven in public works. Uh, the infrastructure bill, you know, we're getting that. Like the EPA Superfund cleanup is coming from the infrastructure bill. $77 million to clean the harbor, which is correcting like a three decades long environmental injustice that's right. happened to the people of New Bedford and Fairhaven and just everybody around that relies on this port. Right. So, but like anyone could have done that. Anyone like on the democratic side, anyone would have done that. And I think that when you just look at how like a feat this, like he is now of day nowadays, it just, it projects I mean, everything's bad right now, and I don't know that anybody in particular would have made it better, right? But he, his projection as a, as a public figure makes it look worse. And today you had Jill Biden saying he had such high hopes. Those you are still the pr- like you're still the president of the United States. You can't say he had such high hopes. It was like He's, a eulogy. It was. It's exactly. It, that's exactly what it is. He had such. First of all, Joe Biden's Joe Biden's high hopes for his presidential for his political career have only ever been about his career advancement. Right. Right. So he wanted to be president at a very young age. He, you know, became he he elevated pretty quickly through politics. I mean, he was a county. Was it a county councilor, like a city councilor for a county in Delaware before he became a senator, youngest senator, maybe ever elected at 29 years old, got sworn in? Uh, because got, of Richard Nixon. Was it because of Richard well, Nixon? Well, the reaction. The, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, they needed a and, Vietnam, yeah, all of that stuff. Because of Richard Nixon, because of DuPont. The climate of the, uh, of the, of the country. Yeah. Just, just in favor of the Democrats, and he was having to be the young yeah. guy right there. But he also... He also, uh, I think he also, the, the what made him good was the retail politics, all that, all the backslapping stuff that he did, and because he was a fantastic retail retail politician, you know when he, you know, you look at 2012 when Obama uh, lost handedly to Mitt Romney in that first debate, he came out and just did his regular guy thing, right? Because Obama was being too wonky and nerdy, he came out like, ah, ha, ha, my friend over here, you know, he just totally emasculated Paul Ryan by just making him look like a doofus. But now that those capabilities that he once had have either been um, he's either refused to use them or he's unable to access them. And so his talent, his abilities as a politician, as an elected official are completely and utterly 
vacant other than his name recognition, right? His name recognition is the only thing that's keeping him afloat. But now that name is attached to all of this disaster. That's an excellent analysis. Of this is a long way of saying that Bernie Sanders should have been the nominee <laughs> because at the end of the day, what people could say about Bernie Sanders, you could say a lot about him. But what you can't say about him, what nobody says about him is that he's not genuine. He is a very genuine person, and you'd have somebody out here at least fighting for stuff, and you can't tell me that's not better than this self-defeating BS that we're seeing now. Okay, we got to take a break. Hey, everybody, it's the... I'm Marcus. He's Chris. Uh, we're going to actually, in the 8 o'clock hour, you wrote a column about... We didn't get to talk about it, right. but you wrote a column about um, undocumented uh, immigrants... And you can't use that term anymore, Marcus. No, see, that's that's going to be the discussion point that we're going to have. So I don't want to I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away, but that's going to be the discussion point. Stick that around, we're folks. Have. You, you can have a laugh, and uh, and you can I think call the point in. will be made. I think you can call in. I think a lot of people still want to talk about this topic. I think it it means a lot to a lot of people in different ways, and so we can. I mean. We, we don't have a translator though for you people in Spanish, but we do or Iranian or anything like that. But yeah, but but you people who, who, who are going to be waiting okay in lines ahead of me at the registry because people because uh, because typically um, you know they have to assimilate and learn two languages where most Americans don't really do that because so, we don't leave the country illegally to go well, well, live in it, someone else's country. Yeah, we're not because we're not. Getting, I mean, if I was going to sneak into Canada, I'd at least learn. Well, we're to not speak getting bombed. Yeah, right. We're not getting bombed by. Um, we're not getting bombed by Nicaragua. And getting forced out of our own. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Right.